Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Today I'm joined by author James G. Carlson, who wrote Midnight in the City of the Carry-On Kid, Seven Exhumations, and Hacked in Two. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being on. Now, I usually start each episode asking the guest, what is your favorite horror movie? Ooh, wow. If you had to pick one. I mean, I know there's probably like a plethora mm. of them, maybe like 20 in a row who are number one. I'd have to say I have endless favorites, but the one that got me into horror when I was, I think, 11 years old, 11, 12, it was um, the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Oh, God, I love it. Yeah, I snuck over to a neighbor's house and watched it. Because my parents didn't allow that kind of stuff. So um, I snuck over there and watched it, and it had this profound effect on me. It just blew my mind. And I, I've been a fan ever since. I was watching um, Eli Roth's History of Horror last night, and they were delving into nice. that one in one episode. And they were saying that that movie is like a gateway for so many people who are going through stuff. And they say, like, you know, this event in my life, that's my Freddy Krueger. Like, this movie taught me how to, like, fight that. So, like, Freddy means so many different things to so many people. And actually, I'm wearing a Freddy Krueger hat right now. So nice, yeah. <laughs> it's very fortuitous. We're talking about that movie. I loved it. I, I mean, I like the whole franchise to varying degrees, of course, because it got kind of corny after a while. Mm-hmm. But the first one, just the concept alone, with someone who can invade your dreams and actually kill you that way—that's pretty terrifying. If oh, you yeah. think about it, yeah. It's funny, even Robert England was like, yeah, maybe there are some things we shouldn't have done in that series. Maybe we went a little too far sometimes. <laughs> like with the, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. Right. Yeah, they made, yeah, they went really silly with it. But, you know, I like cheese. I like my uh, my horror to be absurd. That's oh, why I was, had a real strong connection to like B-movies and stuff growing up. I loved them. Now, I can tell you're also a fan of games like Silent Hill with uh, Midnight in the City of the Carry-On Kid. Dude, that book blew me away. I thought <laughs> one night, okay, before bed, I'll read like 20 pages. No, I couldn't put it down. <laughs> I was telling nice, everybody okay. afterward, like, pick this book up. Like, if you like survival horror, if you like stuff that's like a deeper metaphor for things like addiction, if you like a really damn good story, get this one. It's so fucking great. Thanks. I appreciate that. That was um, supposed to be for my... Uh, the publishing company I worked for a few years ago and they folded and I was kind of just sitting um, on a flash drive. And then I started my own publishing company and decided, why not? Let's, let's try it. Cause so I submitted it to a different publishing company and the person said that the addiction part wasn't believable. And uh, being that I come from a history of substance abuse, I knew it uh, was pretty much exactly as it went down. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I didn't go with that publisher. Yeah, I hate when people like with outside perspective are like, well, I don't believe that because it's my, my worldview is everything. I'm like, well, have you been through it? Cause I'm right. pretty sure it's very honest. <laughs> yeah. People make assumptions sometimes because uh, people don't, now that I'm older and domesticated and law abiding and so forth, people don't really, it's hard for them to believe that I've had any kind of past like that. <laughs> uh, when you were starting Gloomhouse Publishing, what was that process like? Like starting up your own publishing company? Well, I'd had a few bad experiences with publishers, indie publishers, um, with not paying royalties or not sending the author copies that you order, things like that. So a few of my friends and I in the industry started talking and I was like, I'll just try my hand at making my own publishing company. And so far, it's um, it's been pretty well received. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I love everything I've read from you guys. Like, I was in a hurry after reading this book. I'm like, I need to get on Kindle right now and get the rest. <laughs> There's, well, I have uh, I have a few releases. Um, and since we started, I've signed uh, Damon Manx, Terry Miller, um, Mick Collins. It's, it's been pretty cool. Oh, hell yeah. What is your own writing process like? Like when you're starting out a story from concept to distribution, like how many drafts do you do? Do you outline it all? I'm I'm a pantser. I um I have a v- very vague idea of what I want to do. I've written a story based around a sentence I thought was cool. Um, I I don't really go and plan it all out. I don't map it. It's the story pretty much dictates where I go. It's like separate. I don't know how to describe it. It's very strange my process. And then I go over it and edit maybe I don't know five or six times <laughs> afterwards. I can tell because every story is like really sharp. It's like holding a dagger that's going to cut you if you, you know, aren't careful with it. It's not like (laughs) nothing about these stories seems, you know, hackneyed at all. Like everything in there is very careful and intricate and it all works together. That's what what I loved about this damn book, man. I mean, I can't praise it highly enough. So if it sounds like I'm kissing your ass, (laughs) absolutely am. (laughs) I I, I appreciate it. I love when people appreciate my work because uh, it's such a oversaturated market um, right now. And some of it's high quality, some of it's in between, and some of it, you know, I can find something positive about almost any story I read, but um, it's a very, it's a varied market. It really is. Yeah. I think I can always tell when somebody only does one draft. I mean, even some of the bigger authors I know, I read their work and I'm like, you didn't really do a second draft or you didn't read through it afterward, did you? Cause I'm catching some things <laughs> that I feel like you should have caught. And sure. I paid yeah. for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Th- that's the problem. Um, even if I go back to my very early work from, I don't know, four years ago or so, it uh, I can find all kinds of mistakes, whether it's plot holes or grammatical errors, telling versus showing, passive voice, all that stuff. Uh, because you evolve as a writer as you go. And looking back at my early stuff, I love those stories. But certain things are kind of embarrassing, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I have like a whole know, high school emo kid Chase Will collection that's never going to see the light of day. <laughs> it's like I could tell yeah. like at certain stories I was either trying too hard or I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> right. But they're good learning experiences and you probably got the same, right? Yeah, that's how you kind of hone your craft. I mean, when I started writing, I had no idea I would ever try and do it professionally. Never. That was Maybe it was a dream, maybe in the back of my mind, but it was never something I considered until, like I said, maybe four, five years ago, tops. Now, speaking of dreams, how influential have movies like Nightmare on Elm Street been in your career as a storyteller? Um, basically, from the first one, I would say it was influential in the sense that it gave me a, a really clear sense of terror. And then everyone after that was like inspired me to incorporate some humor. And some cheesiness, things, some I like absurd fiction. I love it. Bizarro's like bizarro and horror are my favorite genres by far. And if I can make a, a horror book that is that can affect the reader, but also throw in some really strange and maybe humorous stuff, I consider that a win. <laughs> You're gonna have the line, how sweet dark meat. he had some he had some interesting one-liners throughout the years (laughs) (laughs) i love rewatching those movies though because they never get boring like no matter how many times i've seen a nightmare on elm street movie like none of them 
even the worst one, even my least favorite one, um, Freddy's Dead, it still has rewatch value. Yeah. <laughs> like the part with yeah. Johnny Depp where he's like, this is your brain on drugs. And he smacks him <laughs> in a frying pan. Like, what <laughs> drugs are you on? Yeah, it's classic. Yeah, stuff like that. I, I love it because it just, sometimes you need some levity in between all of the carnage. Oh, yeah. It's great. I love it. Like if those movies were like just Carnage, I don't think they would have worked nearly as well if it was like just, you know, almost like the remake where Freddy is nothing but scary and there is no, you know, empathy for the character. There's he's just a bad guy, a terrible person, sure. who did terrible, terrible things, which I don't think they like specifically say in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, unless I'm totally wrong here. Do they identify him specifically as a child killer in that one or was he not guilty? I'm trying to remember. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I think they make a a brief um, mention of it. I think he was a child killer, but they don't really go into great detail with it. I think that kind of gets delivered piece by piece throughout the franchise. Yeah. I like that way of storytelling too, where each movie kind of adds maybe a little bit more here and there. Like none of the movies after part one, up until maybe Freddy's dead, don't add much to his backstory. It's kind of just Freddy's back. You know, Yeah. here's a new army of kids going to fight and mutilate mm-hmm. and dispatch in their dreams. Right. And you can only do that so long without offering something else. Yeah. Because I, I think older. they, uh, I think they almost had to do Freddy versus Jason at that point in history because they were like, you know, we can't do another just Freddy movie. It's not going to work anymore. I mean, we've done right. almost everything under the sun with that character. And that movie generally hated among fans, but I liked it. Personally. It was fun. It was like yeah. Looney Tunes with the serial killers. Exactly. Yeah, it was <laughs> ridiculous. It was stupid, but it was entertaining. And that that goes a long way with me. Like, I think what I like about both slashers, uh, Freddy and Jason, is that they are the main character in these movies. Like they are the one you're kind of rooting for. You're like watching for what they're doing, not the you know teens, even the more identifiable ones, the ones where you feel something for that character. You're still saying, you know, I wonder how Freddy's going to kill them. Or, wow, I identify with this character who's kind of a dick, but he's got it coming. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I sympathize more with Jason because his backstory is all trauma, PTSD, bullying, etc. Freddy, he's kind of an irredeemable scumbag, but that's part of his charm. Freddy's like that guy at the bar who only tells one-liners. It's like he's endearing in that way. (laughs) Yeah, he's great until he's not. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, Freddie, go die. We're going to burn you alive now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's satisfying to watch people, uh, you know, defeat him. But you know, every time he's coming back, every time. Now, the uh, horror market between the 1980s mm-hmm. and now, how would you say it's shifted? Cause right now he's saying it's kind of saturated, which I agree with. Like, right. what, what's changing now? Wait, what do you think is coming up? Well, I'd say the book world is certainly more saturated than the movie world. Um, I think horror was certainly stronger in the 80s and 90s, even the early 2000s. There was some great stuff between 2000 and 2006 that just blew me away. But since then, I've been finding that I'll appreciate maybe one out of like five movies. And because they're just, they're not the same. They don't have the same character. They don't have um, characters I want to root for that I can get behind. It's just when they die, I'm just like, well, it's about time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're never actually dead either. No, no. It's it's just the horror market's changed. Um, they used to really worry about character building and creating these really cool characters. Now it's just about kind of gratuitous violence and trying to shock the people into buying the next one. 
Do you ever read the uh, comics that go along with these movies, like the Freddy comics and the Freddy versus Ash? For, uh, I said Ash. Freddy versus Ash <laughs> versus Jason. That would have been a whole different story. I have not, but that would be awesome, though. Yeah. <laughs> Freddy <laughs> versus Ash. That's like probably on Pornhub right now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what does he have in place of the four claws? <laughs> if you Google it, there's probably something like that already. Oh, my God. Honestly. I will not do that. But listeners, <laughs> no. there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll refrain from that. But, uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be funny, though, <laughs> for sure. Next project for Gloomhouse, Freddy vs. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> that could be on the, Bizar- the Bizarro imprint. Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on that, on that imprint, anything goes, pretty much. I love within that. reason. Yeah, I think like one of my favorite things about writing and also about like the current horror industry is that Splatterpunk is making a big comeback in a big way. Yeah. Like no one is afraid mm-hmm. anymore to go there with their stories because after everything else has already been done, you know, nothing's really shocking anymore. As James Addiction would say, it's yeah. like nothing is yeah. like that level of, oh, my God, they went there. Like you can't outdo Ed Lee anymore. No, no. And I think that Splatterpunk and transgressive fiction in general is a response to cancel culture, woke culture, which I love woke culture, but I uh, leave it to humanity to take something good and take it way too far. Yeah. So I think it's a response to that saying that we still have a place where we can just say what we want without people getting outraged and trying to, you know, erase us from the planet. <laughs> and that's beautiful too, is because I didn't expect like when I wrote my first Splatterpunk book that there would be an audience for it. I was like, maybe five or six people would dig this and everyone else might actually hate it. But then I found out there's a there's a market specifically for this. Like, you know, godless.com mm-hmm. is doing their thing. Then you got people will say at AuthorCon who are coming to my table saying, what is the most fucked up thing I can buy from you? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, have I got something for you? <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. My my horror is pretty, it's mostly dark fiction. Um, I don't really go into the splatterpunk territory too often. I call my stuff and I try to incorporate social and political themes. So I call mine snowflake horror. <laughs> because I'm, yeah, I'm super liberal, and I try to put that stuff in there, and I also try to point out that both sides are ridiculous. Yeah, of American politics and society, because everyone's divided now. It's really discouraging. So I try to point that out in my fiction and have fun with it. It's like Otherwise, in some ways we're like we're like living in a horror movie in some ways. Like everyone oh, is yeah. against everyone anymore. Even if you agree with them, they're still against you because you're not saying things in the exact way they want to say it. Right, and. I like everybody. I mean, I'm just, I'm that guy. I'm, if you read my work and then know me as a person, two very different things. I'm the guy who I can't eat any animals that I like. Um, I can't kill insects in my house. I can take them outside and let them go. Um, My wife and I were in the car the other day singing show tunes, stuff like that. That's, I'll go to Broadway. I I do all that stuff. Wait, what show tunes? What are you into? um, Well, uh, let's see. Uh, We do a lot of like, Lynn manuel Miranda stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Like, In the Heights. I actually prefer that over Hamilton, to be honest. Um, I haven't listened to In the Heights yet. It's good. It's good. Uh, I, I like it a lot more. Um, the new Tick, Tick, Boom uh, production on Netflix was good. Les Mis. We just did a whole um, Boz Lerman marathon after we went to see Elvis. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm not your typical horror writer or your typical dude, for that matter. I do not identify well with men at all. <laughs> Never have. <laughs> like I remember meeting you at the, uh, what was it? The living dead weekend in Pittsburgh. And you were the most chill person there. It's like, <laughs> if I had to get up, go to the bathroom, you were like, yeah, yeah, I'll cover for you. 
And I'm like, I'm going to come back. Half my shit's going to be gone. <laughs> You're like, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I never, I never actually had that happen, but there's always that fear of like, I'm really yeah. trusting somebody here while I go take a leak. Well, you know what? I find the horror community to be the most supportive and cool people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in the punk and hardcore uh, scene in the nineties and I loved it, but I never would have trusted them with my money or <laughs> with my merchandise or anything. So it's kind of, it's very cool. It's like the punk rock community but better in my opinion it's like they can take a 20 that you hand them and turn it into a 10 in five seconds yeah yeah well we were we were all broke we were all scrounging and dirty (laughs) it was was a weird time the 90s for sure Oh, the 90s i'm so glad i grew up then oh same i wish my kids had because it was people went outside people did things it was cool yeah we didn't have cell phones we had to actually like stay close to where the phone was mounted on the wall to make phone calls Oh yeah. I got in so much trouble back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to wait till after nine o'clock to make your phone calls. Cause it was cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. And you had to check oh, with everyone God. in the house before getting on the internet. So we weren't tying <laughs> up the line. Oh yeah. Oh, you heard that awful sound. Oh yeah. That, uh, yeah. That modem dialing sound. Oh, it was terrible. It was so primitive compared to what we have now. So uh, what do you have coming up next? And what's coming up next from Gloomhouse? Oh, well, Gloomhouse. Um, our next project is, Terry Miller's Den of the Were Rats. And that's going to be on bastardized books. It's a it's a really cool story. Um, it's more extreme splatterpunk type stuff, and it's really entertaining, kind of brutal. It's his first novella. So I've known Terry for a while now, and he mostly does short stories. But when he gave me that, I just I had to have it. And then he and I also have a split release coming up called Dark Tales. And it's kind of I don't know, Victorian horror, old school horror, folk horror, just really dark fiction. Um, my story in that one, or one of my stories, is kind of Twilight Zone meets Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, are you so a big I'm Poe really fan? excited about that. Huh? Are you a pretty big Poe fan? Um, well, yeah, I, uh, I dig Poe. I uh, have this massive volume I read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this. Got a yeah. little bobblehead here. Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> it's my little desk buddy. I call it my office manager. <laughs> I like classic literature in, in general. It was really cool. Um, I like I like all literature from all the ages, but certainly uh, horror. I really got into reading during um, the '90s with the Beat Generation: Kerouac, William Burroughs, um, even Neil Cassidy. I read his stuff. All those guys. Um, what's his name? Uh, Gallen Ginsberg. Loved him. I think then, um, I think Burroughs is the one I was comparing uh, Midnight in the City of the Carrion Kid to. It felt a lot mm-hmm. like Naked Lunch and um, what was the other book? Um, Druggy or no Junkie? Like junkie, it felt yeah. a lot like those two books mm-hmm. together. He's he's an influence for sure. So I'm glad that kind of you know was evident in that book. It wasn't conscious, but I'm sure it was there. Uh, who are you reading now? Actually, I'm still reading uh, Moving Through. Oh shit! <laughs> By Look Chase Hill. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I kid you not. Yeah. I'm so um, glad you're reading it, man. That's awesome. Oh yeah. And and I swear I was not going that. for self-promotion there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it was just coincidental and fortuitous. <laughs> there we go. I like that. That's a, that's the word of the day, guys. You have to clap every time we say fortuitous. <laughs> nice. And then I have a whole stack from living dead weekend and a giveaway I got and a book I ordered. So I have a lot, I have a lot going on. Ooh, what do you got there? I have Beneath Cruel Waters by John Bassoff. I like his stuff a lot. He's awesome. I have uh, Wesley Southard's uh, Try Again. Oh, that book is so good. Right? 
Yeah, I, I can't wait for that one. Death Cleanse by uh, Joseph Pesavanto. Mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. And I have Bishop by Candace Nola. Loved it. Um, Swan Dongs. By... Swan Dongs. <laughs> I saw that on God list. I need to read yes. that. Well, my uh, my friend uh, Mick Collins wrote a story for it, um, along with two other authors. So I had to get it. And plus, I like humor and horror together. And then I won this one recently from uh, Bizarro Planet Press. It's Weird Fauna of the Multiverse by Leo X. Robertson. So I'm excited about that as well. That looks pretty cool. I like that cover. Yeah. Yeah, I read a few pages uh, when I got it. It's it's very well written. Beautiful cover. Yeah. Everybody, you can't oh. see what we're seeing, but go check it out online. <laughs> right. Speaking, all, of, uh, speaking of online, where can people find you on social media? They can find us at, um, we have a Facebook page, Instagram page. We have TikTok. We cover all the bases. Um, even on Twitter, even though, I'm not a big Twitter fan. That's a really tough nut to crack, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've never gotten into Twitter. I'm just bad at it. I'm like, I as a writer, it. I know I should be able to get something down to 150 characters or less. But no, I have at least 150 characters in my books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's awful. It's like writing flash fiction. It's so hard. That's a, that's <laughs> and it never time. comes off the way you want it to come off either. No. It's like no. someone's going to take this the wrong way because I can't <laughs> say it my way. I've done three flash fiction pieces and that's probably going to be the only ones I ever write. Honestly, flash fiction is like a whole different animal. I don't know how people do it. I respect anybody no. who can do it well, but damn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's difficult. It's very difficult. I, I'm more into novellas and short stories. That's where my talent lies. Ooh, novellas are my sweet spot. Oh yeah. It's perfect. There's no filler. It's just a story told in a way that's very digestible and entertaining without all the nonsense to kind of, that makes you want to put it down. Mm-hmm. That's the way like, I feel about it. If you're writing a novella, you can't have any slow spots because you're like, I've only got this many pages. It's like, if this guy's dragging right now, what the hell does that say about the next 30 pages? Right. But then some people complain about that too. Like I've had a few people say about Midnight in the City of the Carrion Kid that it was too fast paced for them. But that was kind of what I was going for. I didn't want any moment to be a lull or, you know, to be just kind of the that boring i want to put this book down moment i didn't want those well i gotta say there was one moment in that book that really resonated with me where it was like really deep it was talking about the afterlife and you know what's going to happen when we're gone what's going to happen after this and you said something that's always been my firm belief is that we're all made of energy energy can't be created or destroyed so whether or not there's a heaven or hell part of you lives on and i was so happy to see that in writing because that's always been my belief and it was like, holy shit, this book just like reached me in a way I was not expecting. <laughs> it's kind of a recurring theme in my books um, that we have no idea what comes after. And to speculate on that is kind of ridiculous. All we know is what we know for certain scientifically is that, you know, human beings are made of energy and that that energy has to go somewhere afterwards, whether it's back into the universe to be repurposed in whatever fashion it sees fit or the more fantastical uh, beliefs that people have that are religious based, which I don't subscribe to, but still, I mean, it's, it's very interesting to think about. Well, it got me asking one day, I was like, what if we make it to like space travel where we're colonizing other planets, we're taking our energy away from the earth. It's like, does that mean mm. you're going to come back in some form there in some other galaxy? It's like, where's the energy going to huh. go? How are we going to keep earth going? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I think that, you know, I think it all comes from the universe to begin with. So I don't know if we, when we go, if it stays here or goes somewhere else, 
who knows? It's uh, it's really cool to think about because the universe is so vast, and we're just these tiny grains of sand here. It's it's interesting. Oh yeah, it's like that quote from Tombstone. It's like God made all the stars and still remember to make me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we're such small, small things in the expanse of the universe. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, uh, you could thank what's his name Neil deGrasse Tyson for this. Uh, he said that we share a lot in common with stars uh, as far as our chemical makeup which is neat nobody sees us till we're dead <laughs> well, that, yeah well that too yeah <laughs> precisely we live in obscurity until we die and then someone says oh maybe they were worthwhile after all i really wish i'd gotten to meet that guy <laughs> yeah, yeah and now i'll read his books now that he's gone sure <laughs> <laughs> go full poe <laughs> yeah there's so many people that live in poverty and obscurity until they're gone and then finally people take their work seriously it's kind of sad, like really. about it, though. Like, it's sad, but it's beautiful. It's like, you know, it I'm is. making something that might actually live on in some way or another. Like, oh, yeah. it, even if one person reads something you write, and it's only that one person. They're still carrying it in some way or another. Like, they're going to remember, I read this at some point. So it's right, like exactly. part of you is living on. Like, that is an afterlife of its own. That's true. Yeah, that's why I try and make my books to be, uh, at least put some meaning into them and not just be shallow, gratuitously violent uh, books with, they're just trying to push the envelope. I want it to actually resonate with people. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great night, everybody. And take care.